here we are austin brown yep welcome back yeah thanks for having me of course um your latest instagram post prompted a lot of questions for me um you met eric trump uh nikki haley did you meet vivek uh briefly yeah i did what was he like um i mean it, we caught him on an off night i guess because he was just suspending his presidential campaign but still um you know resolved with what he wants to do um still interacting with everybody he talked with the media for a while really yeah we were uh we were standing kind of near there when fox was interviewing him and everything but um yeah still pretty much the same yeah i'm gonna shut this door okay. real quick so like what was he like even though it was an off night um was he different than how he is like on the camera um not really no um i think that basically like he was obviously dealing with some people who were a little upset that he was you know done running for president but overall i think pretty much the same talking points um saying that he wants to you know keep going with the america first agenda still friendly and charismatic like he usually is yeah but yeah he's a really cool guy i, I agree what do you think about him being the uh the running mate for trump i think he's a great pick honestly i, I think that there's a lot of um a lot of other good options too but i think that right now um, we're in a place where we definitely need an America first candidate. We can't have any neocons, any yeah. establishment Republicans. With that said, I think there are other people that fit the bill of what I would be looking for if I was Trump. But I think that Vivek brings youth to the table. I think he was able to engage Gen Z voters a lot better than a lot of the other candidates were. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of polling had DeSantis up there pretty high with Gen Z too. But I think that... Um, I think Vivek really just connected with people in a way, engaged with social media as well, and gained people through that. Uh, and, and obviously his his policies are really good. I think that his foreign policy and what he wants the country um, to be in the long term lines up pretty well with Donald Trump's vision mm -hmm. of America. Yeah, I remember in the debate, he cornered Nikki Haley and... Um he was mentioning like the regions yep. and I don't even remember what country it was. Maybe it was Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah. And he, he named one, two, three, four, five regions. And I was like, what? Yeah. And you could see, he was like, nobody else on the stage knows what I'm talking yep. about. And he was right. Yeah. And so he continued to go at Nikki Haley, um, calling her like a neocon and saying like, she's a world economic forum asset. What do you know about that? Cause I try to look into it obviously, but I'm not as knowledgeable as you. I think that what he's referring to there is Nikki Haley is very in line with what the Bush era was for the Republican Party. She is very pro-war, um, despite what she says about wanting peace and things like that. Politicians, you know, they always want war to be going on, a lot of them. And I think that that's why she wants to be so involved with Ukraine. Um, I don't think we have a good enough reason to be over there and to be putting so many resources and certainly not sending any men over there. And I think the point that he was trying to illustrate there is that she is putting another country's problems before our own. We have a lot of problems we need to solve at home. And what she's done is basically continue to advocate for putting more and more resources into a foreign war that really is going to benefit us nothing in the long run. Yeah. Um, as far as the World Economic Forum comment, I'm not super familiar with what her association is with that, to be honest, but I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Neither was I. I was just taken aback, though, because, like, of course it would be him to call her out. He doesn't have any, like, fear, which is interesting, I thought. I thought that 
he would get more attention and more votes from the Republican base in the in the in the primaries. So I was a little bit surprised he dropped out so soon mm-hmm. compared to DeSantis, which that's another thing. DeSantis dropped out today. Yeah. Um, what a collapse. I know. I, I think I think it was the right call. I really yeah. do. Um, I think Vivek knew when to call it. And I think his campaign was more about elevating his own personal brand. And he did it. Yeah, very well, I think. And I, I don't think that there was any other reason for him to run other than to get his name out there. He was a CEO, obviously successful. But as far as having political clout, I don't think he was really at that level. No. DeSantis, I think the reason that he chose to run, even though I wouldn't have advised him to run if I was one of his political consultants personally, but um, I think he was trying to run off of the momentum that he had during COVID. That was what brought him a lot of notoriety. And he really branded himself as the pro-freedom, pro-limited government candidate, even honestly compared to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, you know, for as, as many good things as I would say about him, I don't necessarily agree with his handling of COVID. Now, granted, he was under a lot of political pressure at that time. Yeah. But DeSantis, to be fair, didn't cave to any of it and and really was effective in that way. Um, but I think we're at a point now where a lot of the people, even though they were running against each other, they're really all on the same side of most policy issues mm-hmm. and how they want to approach it. I think that right now we have the most unified Republican Party that we've seen in a while. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, besides Chris Christie. Yeah. Is he even a Republican? I don't know. They just put him out there to be anti-Trump. Yeah. He he basically just ran his campaign as a personal vendetta, it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just really think that if you look at the way that politics has shaken out for the Republicans over the last year, um, even with the Speaker of the House, now that he's out, we have Mike Johnson. He's much more in line with somebody like Trump or, mm-hmm. you know, America first. It's more conservative. Yeah. And I think that, you know, slowly but surely the Republicans are weeding out the old era of the GOP and the, the establishment um, and, and kind of creating a new party without necessarily splitting the party outright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think happens after Trump? Say, Because I personally think there's no way that he doesn't win. I really, I really don't. Yeah. I mean, Biden's polling numbers last time I checked was 33%. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Carter, who never won a re-election, his lowest was 38 Wow, they were saying. And so I really don't think. No. So what do you think happens after Trump? Say Trump wins, 2028 comes around. What happens? It's hard to say. I think that for the Republicans, there's a lot of people that are going to run. We're going to see a crowded field for sure. But I, I will say this, whoever is the VP for Trump, I think is going to have a head up because um, I think for a fact they will run, whether that be Vivek. I don't think DeSantis will necessarily be the VP, but he, he may run again, um, which that's going to be interesting to see how he'll stack up against the Trump VP and not necessarily Trump himself. Yeah. Um, for the Democrats, though, I think that they're going to definitely run Gavin Newsom. I, I can't see... That's a sexy pick for them. I think it is. And I, I just really can't imagine a 2028 where they don't run mm. him. Um, a lot of people have floated Michelle Obama is another one that could be. Dark horse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could happen. I, I, I think that she has enough mainstream popularity. Mm. Um, and even with some moderates, she may be able to be all right. Uh, obviously, Republicans, I don't think she's going to pull many of them. But yeah. it would be a good pick. Big Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big Mike. No, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, what are your thoughts on New Hampshire kind of having the Democratic primary, like um, having Biden, like saying, write him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's him. 
off the ballot, obviously. Him, Marion Williamson, and then I forget the other guy, the lesser-known guy. What are your thoughts on that? I think that Biden, just because he's an incumbent, will probably win. I don't know much about the the landscape of the voter base in New Hampshire, to be honest. But I think that just based on the fact that a lot of Democrats live under the mantra of vote blue no matter who, and I think that they they think that he has the biggest name. So that's the safest bet for them to be able to beat Trump. I think they know that a Marianne Williamson or whoever else is never going to beat him yeah. in, in a general. And I don't think Biden will either. But given the options that they have on the table right now and that they've chosen to go with, I think that he will most likely win mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then I think, too, it's I, don't, I forget how you pronounce his name. Cenk Yerger from the Young Turks. Yeah. He's trying to run. I don't get it. I mean, he's not. A, he wasn't born here. And yeah. by the way, you're not young. He's like 50 almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, bro. I was subscribed to them on YouTube. I like to hear a bunch of different opinions. Yeah. But they were trashing the Pope and trashing religion after the Pope said that porn, necess- it's not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, look at this creepy old man talking about, you know, what's good and bad, talking about a porn. Like, yeah. it, it just came off as really disrespectful. And it wasn't necessarily Cenk. It was um one of the other, I think his name was Bob or whatever. Okay. But coming off is really disrespectful. And so, like I said, I like to have both sides of the aisle and then the middle, but I had to unsubscribe. Yeah. It wasn't worth it. I I think somebody like that, they're trying to capitalize off of their social media Mm -hmm. following. And honestly, I think that could be the next era of politics in America. Trump started it. Yeah. He's a great example. And I think like a lot of these people that have gained so much notoriety in political circles have had their start on social media and it's really the first time we've seen that Mm -hmm. i mean the most comparable thing you could say is maybe if there was a journalist or somebody in the past that was a tv broadcaster that gained their fame through that but since social media is a relatively new thing for us we're starting to see the next generation of people come up and be able to market themselves through that Mm -hmm. i mean me personally i work in journalism and you know a lot of activism and things like that and you know, even people my age that have a large following online are able to market themselves and start run for office now um, for like house seats and things. I saw there was a guy, CJ Pearson, I think he's running for, I don't know if it's state house, I'm pretty Hmm. sure down south somewhere. Um, And he he has a big following online from PragerU and things like that. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. um, Patrick by David had Vivek on. This Mm. was probably in the summer. Yeah. Um, and he talked about like the growth over a year um, prior, maybe six months prior mm-hmm. uh, to that point. And Vivek had like the biv- the biggest uh, percentage increase of Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about numbers, numbers, numbers. Yep. And to give Vivek credit, him and RFK, they were doing all these podcasts. Uh, RFK was on Joe Rogan. RFK was on Patrick Bet David, if I'm not incorrect. He was on... Um, Bill Maher, mm-hmm. uh, Vivek was on Patrick by David too. And so you see these these newer guys. I mean, RFK is not young, but yeah. he's not old either. Uh, but you see these guys embracing social media yeah. and getting their voice out there. And they're getting more views than the debates. Yeah. I, like I know, like, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think that's a, a prime example of really meeting voters where they're at. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how often do we actually sit down and turn on the TV nowadays? You know? I mean... Gen Z doesn't. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And it, it's just interesting to see that shift. But I think that what traditionally worked for people is no longer going to work. And there's yeah. going to have to be a, a pivot 
um, to be able to stay relevant and stay, you know, growing your brand in the mm-hmm. political field. Just like everything, there's always change. I mean, I saw the Obama ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And boy, do we have change. Yeah, that is true. But yeah, man, I I wanted to talk about something. I um, you were talking about like we have the most re- like a uh, united Republican party that we've had in a long time. Mm. I feel like we don't have, in terms of America, we don't have a true conservative that's running for president. Um, because you know everybody has problems with Trump's presidency, but I think the one for me was the stimulus checks. Yeah, true. That's probably the least conservative thing that you could do. Yeah. And it, it was shocking that he actually did it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you agree with that statement? No, I agree with you 100%. I think that there's two sides of this. I think economically speaking, it was a bad move to be printing that much money and putting that into circulation. That's going to lead to inflation, and it did. Of course. Not to blame Trump solely for the inflation. I think that contributed to it, and I think Biden's policies have exacerbated it. Of course. But... What I will say is I have watched a lot of street interviews. I've done street interviews myself, you know, so I'm, I'm into that sort of a thing and, and hearing the, the everyday man's opinion on these political issues. And what I will say is a lot of people are planning to vote for him for that. And I've noticed specifically that a lot of people that were in lower income areas were especially happy about that. Sexy red. Yeah. You saw that clip? Yep. She's like, yeah, Trump gave us money. He gave gave black people money. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to vote for him. There there are a lot of minority groups that I have seen him gain a lot more support in. And I think that politically for him, it will be good. Yeah. Now, do I think that it's necessarily objectively the right thing to do? No. I think that in retrospect, Trump's handling of COVID was not great. Yeah. Um, From elevating Fauci to such a high level was the first mistake. I think his economic policy of the way he handled it wasn't great. But again, I think that he does have a valid excuse in saying that there was a lot of political pressure on him. Because mm-hmm. if he would have said, you know, no stimulus, no vaccines, no no Fauci, basically, people would have been very critical of him and yeah. said he was denying science and, you know, leaving people out to dry. It's just funny how, like, you see Biden and Kamala, no, we're not going to take the Trump vaccine. No mm-hmm. way. Yep. They get into office and they're the ones pushing it. Okay, yep. here we go. You just take it really. Taking it on camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that uh, if he gets elected again, it's overall net good. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Because yeah. like what we have right now, this is like bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Yep. Really bad. How do you feel about the border? Oh, it's a mess. I, I, that That is one of the, the biggest things that I just, it, it's so shocking to see, like we have a lot of problems in our country, don't get me wrong. Of course. But to see something get to that level in a country of our status is just unreal. We're supposed me. to be top of the top. Yeah. And I just don't understand like how Biden, there, there was something I read today that Texas had instituted a policy where they were going to put barbed wire on the fence. Mm-hmm. And Biden took it to the Supreme Court and won. So... <sighs> they're going to go start cutting down all the barbed wire. And it's, I just don't understand why they are so against securing our border. Well, you know why. Yeah. And looking at it, you know, as an outsider, not thinking about political ramifications, I would wonder why. But it it all comes down to, to the demographic, the votes, what they're, you know, trying to 
make for the country, basically. Mm-hmm. And again, I am not anti-immigrant at all. I think that, you know, my family came here legally. I think that there should be a process in place for people to come here legally. However, it is not, you know, xenophobic or racist or anything of that nature to say that you should have national sovereignty. Right. That's what makes you a country. Otherwise, you're just a hotel where yeah. people are passing through and using you for your resources and leaving, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah. There was a there was a rumor that Biden made, like, a backdoor deal with the president of Mexico. Um, I was listening to Ben Shapiro yesterday, mm-hmm. and he was talking about that, saying that's why there's not as many people coming in from the border now. Granted, they're still coming in, but not as big as, a, like, a, as frequent as a rate as it previously was. Mm-hmm. But... I think it's funny. I heard on Joe Rogan, and I I, kind of, I looked it up pre a little bit, did a little bit of research, um, but they were turning away the uh, the immigrants from Venezuela because those were the ones escaping communism mm-hmm. and socialism. Yep, and it's just funny because they knew, you know, those people are going to vote right. It's it's the same thing that you see with uh, Florida becoming so red, and the reason Very is red. where where's Florida? Right by Cuba. Mm-hmm. Those people. They don't want a replay of what happened in Cuba. They oh. came here for a better life and they wanted to stay that way. So that's the thing. Biden is very selective with what immigrants he wants to let in because mm-hmm. he wants to create. He wants people that are going to be willing to fall in line with the narrative that he wants. And another thing that I will say about the border numbers, you said about those being down. The reason that that is, is because they are flying people in instead of having them cross on land. And yeah, I was at America Fest recently, which was in Phoenix and at the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, there was a story that broke. Uh, I think it was Ashley St. Clair that posted it on Twitter. And then James O'Keefe followed followed it up with some reporting um, that basically they are flying in illegal immigrants on these airlines and the government is paying for it. They're giving them papers and they're letting them come in. So what's happening is that is artificially deflating the number of people because you know border protection is not on a plane they're not going to be able to you know have ice and um you know all these other agencies counting these people and reporting that as part of the figure so i think that that is what biden is going to try to use as a way to show that his border policies are are being effective when in actuality it's it's not solving the problem at all it's still there yeah you know i did see that report on x i saw the video Mm -hmm. i just it's so crazy that that could happen. Like that's possible that that happened because I can't. We went to Punta Cana in the summer, mm-hmm. and I remember we came back. We landed in Baltimore. There's a whole process when you come back. You have to show the ID. You have to go through customs, mm-hmm. and the fact that they just ignored that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me. I think that I had heard something that they altered the process of like what is normally permissible. Huh. Um, as far as like what paperwork you need, what identification you need, um, to be able to get on the plane. And I think there's also a rule. I don't know if this is necessarily a law or just a policy from the airline, but they don't share that information with the border protection agencies. They like when those people come in, that information goes into the database and then it's deleted. It's not really? preserved. Yeah. So that's why it's so easy to cover this up because unless you have somebody like Ashley St. Clair or O'Keefe yeah. covering it, you know, right on the spot, nobody's going to know about it. There's okay. no record. Those are the real journalists. That's true. Yeah. I saw something from uh, Jake Tapper. It was a quote. <clears throat> Journalism is the greatest job in the world. Um, something to the degree of that. And then he said, um, it's about being honest. 
mm-hmm. and about finding hard truths. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's rich. Work for Coming CNN. from Jake Tapper yeah, yeah. or MSNBC. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Journalism. I mean, I am a journalist now and I want to continue, you know, working in journalism. It is a shell of what it used to be. Journalism used to be a noble profession that, you know, sought the truth and at any expense. It didn't matter if somebody was offended by what you said. The truth was the truth and it didn't matter. Now what we're seeing is a lot of um, editors and a lot of writers being concerned more with the public narrative and the public perception rather than actually putting out what needs to be said. And this is why we have such a skewed perception of what's actually happening in the country because you have basically propagandist outlets rather than actual news outlets. That's why so many things go unreported or underreported because it doesn't fit the narrative that a specific station wants to push. Yeah. We were talking about Claudine Gay before this and how like all of these people were failing to like condemn her Mm -hmm. for failing to condemn the genocide of Jews. Yeah. And it's like you literally saw the video and she was like being for lack of a better term, just like an asshole. She mm-hmm. was like laughing almost. It was like smiling. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Just because this is a woman of color. Yep. We have to respect her beliefs. And she stepped down. She didn't even get fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the reason is, and this, this might be a hot take, but I think that academics are largely, um, how do I say this? Egotistical in some ways when it comes to public policy. They are educated in whatever their field is. And don't get me wrong, many of them are very intelligent, but I think that what they are thinking themselves is that their intellect applies equally to political matters. And unfortunately, their ideas are just completely off the target. So, you know, someone like that, they want to follow these policies that they have so carefully written up and, you know, try to stick to a standard. But what your standard is, is that you're leaving out certain people to dry, basically. We, I had this problem here myself. Our group was being harassed online by somebody for our religious views. And I took it to YSU and I said that, you know, we're being discriminated against for our religious beliefs. These people are being very blatant in their hatred. And it went up to a Title IX case. So when I spoke to the Title IX coordinator, she basically used the same exact talking point that Claudine Gay used and all of those other presidents saying that if it wasn't specifically targeted or if it wasn't specific, like if it didn't exclude you from an opportunity, basically, then it didn't constitute harassment. Really? Yeah. I wonder what they would say about somebody that was LGBTQ plus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting because... <laughs> Yeah, there have been so many. uh, Well, actually, here's an example of one. My group, uh, this was Turning Point. Mm -hmm. We decided to paint the rock on campus and fight back against the, you know, men and women sports issue and also the, you know, the transing of children. We painted the rock with with this message and we found ourselves on the front page of the jam bar because and they titled the article pride and prejudice and tried to say that basically you know just because we expressed our opinion that that was prejudiced it is the most crybaby 
community online. You don't see these people making points in real life. You know what I mean? No. God forbid you you misgender them or give them the wrong pronoun, um, and the, the whole world goes to hell. But then when Lil Nas X impersonates Jesus and dresses up as Jesus and takes little shots of wine and eats a bunch of hosts, yep. um, we're not allowed to criticize that for whatever reason. No. And, and it's a crazy world. There was a, a great example of that, actually. Um, I'm a big UFC fan, and I was watching the press conference before the Strickland uh, DDP fight recently, and there was a reporter that was pressing Strickland, Sean Strickland, on his views on the LGBT community. And, you know, regardless of what your opinion is on that, he's an individual. He can say what he wants. He has the freedom of speech. We're in America. Um, basically this person was from Canada, go figure. And they were, uh, you know, pushing him on this issue saying, you know, basically is he concerned about the way that the public could perceive his comments? And he, he just lit into him and, and just went on a rant. So I don't know if it was the same reporter or a different reporter, but basically he goes and then presses Dana White about it and asked him and he used the language, um, you know, I know you give them a pretty long leash. And he said, like, do you think that's a problem or whatever? And Dana cut him off and said, I don't give anybody a leash. And I think, like, the people on the left, and especially, like you said, like, people that are concerned with the LGBT issues and stuff, they have become accustomed to everyone protecting them in in, uh, in the sense of, like, worrying about wh- how they feel. Bending the knee. Right. And I think that we've gotten to a point now where those people expect this special treatment. And they expect everybody else to bend the knee and to limit their own freedoms just so that they feel welcome or okay. It's gotten to the point where it's not even about sexuality anymore. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Because you don't see like, I mean, maybe a little bit, but you don't see for the majority part like gays and lesbians online doing this. No. It's, 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 how do I even say it? It's transcended even like the trans issue. It's these people that are like not, they claim non-binary status Mm -hmm. and oh, my pronouns are uh, XAE. It's like, what yeah and i'm a furry like what it's delusion and it it is delusion for lack of a better word and it it just when you have a slippery slope like that that's what happens Mm -hmm. when when you have one thing it started off with with legalizing gay marriage which what i'll say about this is that i understand that it's better to keep the government out of things like marriage because that's a covenant right but, you know, me and you are both religious. We, we understand that. But what I will say is we always define marriage as a man and a woman in this country. And that's how the Bible defines it. And that's what I believe it is. But we, you know, that, that was the first part of it where we started. Then it, it started going downhill towards the trans issue. Then it went to the non-binary issue. And it's just going to keep going. It's going to keep devolving. And as that happens, more and more ridiculous ideas are going to present themselves. Mm-hmm. And because of the mentality, like I described, with everyone expected to kowtow basically to these people and pander to them, we are going to be expected to accept all of these ideas as legitimate mm-hmm. instead of delusion. It's an interesting uh, point that you brought up. Mm-hmm. And so I remember hearing a stat that the majority of the United States was like against gay marriage before it became legalized in 2014, 2013, mm-hmm. somewhere around that time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm religious too, obviously. But when you 
I try to think about it from like a third person perspective, somebody who doesn't necessarily practice religion or is a different religion um, and believes that gay people should be able to get married. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we live in America. There, there's a separation of church and state thing. It's a tough issue. Like, for example, we've done jobs for people that are homosexual, yeah. um, like husband and husband. Um, and bro, they've been cool, like not the obnoxious mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I believe like a large part of like the um, personification of gay people being like overly feminine, like mm-hmm. kind of annoying is for the most part, like um, it's just a label that the world kind of put on them. Yeah. Like, I don't think the majority of gay people are like, at least the ones that we've interacted with, um, you know, clients of ours. So like, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like people should be free. Yeah. Um, live and let live to it to a degree. But not to the point like where now we're letting gen- gender reassignment surgery for kids that are like yeah. 12 years old. There has to be a balance. I agree. And I, what I will say is that I'll preface this by saying I think that you're absolutely right in the sense of, you know, giving people freedom, live and let be. Um, you know, even my conservative groups on campus, when I've been in charge of assigning people to be officers and things like that, we have had LGBT people Mm -hmm. in our conservative groups. Live and let live to a point. Right. Where I will say that my opinion differs in a sense is that like a lot of people use the, the separation of church and state, right? In actuality, yes, there is a separation of church and state to a degree because it's really the whole point of that was to ensure that America did not make an official religion of the state. There is never really anything in there that says that there is a separation of church and state specifically. It's Mm -hmm. more just like we don't have an official language in America. So I think that that was to protect people's ability to freely practice their religion. However, if you really look at it, and this has really become a topic of debate I've noticed in recent years, there is no doubt that our country was founded on Christian ideals. One nation under God. Right. And people people can try to find, like there's been letters that they found from some of the founding fathers saying that, you know, it wasn't a Christian basis what they wrote. That that may be a fringe case because like you, you said, you know, one nation under God, there are so many things in our founding documents that point to that. The morality that we that we drew inspiration from for the laws that we have, in the Bill of Rights and everything all comes from a divine source, which was the Bible. So, you know, to say that these people that are seeking to have gay marriage and things like that um, should be allowed to just on that basis, I don't necessarily agree with because I think that if as a country, if we are not everybody has to be Christian, right? But if you are going to live under those ideals, it's kind of like if you go to a private school, that's mm-hmm. a college, you go there. And you may not practice the religion that they are teaching, but you are still expected to follow the moral guidelines that they've put in place, which is from their religion. So I think that we should not have strayed away from the idea of making marriage between a man and a woman. I think that we should let people have their unions and things like that. To call it marriage is where I disagree. And I think, honestly, you make a good point about how people used to um, be opposed to it. Barack Obama was opposed to it. Biden was opposed to it. Yeah. They're both on camera saying this and Biden or Obama even had this in his book. He said that he opposed 
same-sex marriage on the basis of his religious beliefs hmm. and then completely change course. And the reason is political gain. Yeah. I mean, it worked for him. It did. How yeah. do you feel about that movie? Leave it all be or leave the world behind. I didn't watch it. Yeah. I had heard about that. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was about, but there was something that I had noticed in there that seemed a little weird. And then didn't, weren't the Obamas like the executive producers? It was their production company. Yeah. Yeah. There was somebody online that said like, maybe the Obamas are like trying to tell us something, but you see all these billionaires building bunkers. Yeah, that's really weird. That's strange. Yeah, that is very strange. Strange. That, and like you mentioned the WEF earlier. Um, I mean, I just don't understand how people ignore these issues. Like when you see people like that, they, Klaus Schwab reminds me of like the Emperor villain. Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, he, he reminds me of like the villain in a movie that like yeah. his plans are, are laid out in the open and everybody ignores it because either they don't care or they think it's a joke. German accent. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. You'll own nothing and be happy. Yep. Yep. That's been, that's been out there for years. Mm -hmm. Like two or three years. Yep. What about, uh, what's it called? They were talking about disease X. Have you followed that? I have not. Um, They were talking about it in the event that there's another disease. Mm -hmm. We need to have a better plan for it. Yeah. Um, and then there, there was a guy warning everybody too. There's a doctor on Twitter or X mm -hmm. um, saying that uh, COVID didn't work for them. Mm -hmm. The goal was to get up, have a social credit course, credit course, wow, credit score system. Yeah. Uh, but we still have cash. They still can't track all of our purchases, not everything. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's scary that they're coming. They're eventually, I, they're eventually going to come for it, which is very scary. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> I think that that is going to be their end goal. And everything that we're seeing right now, one common denominator that you can observe in a lot of the technological advancements now is uniformity. I think that if you look at electric cars, um, we were talking about that earlier, um, like you said, if there was a natural disaster or if there was a war and it attacked the grid, then that is going to, you know, put all of that in jeopardy. Likewise, for something like a disease that they're trying to maybe use. And I know that, you know, that has become maybe the most censored point to make on social media. But I do really think that they definitely tried to capitalize on COVID. I'm not going to necessarily say that they created it. I think that that's likely um, just because of like, you know, Fauci came under fire for the gain of function research and, and a lot of the things with the Wuhan lab. But if the government were to weaponize something like that and use it for gain and as a power grab, electric cars are a great way to do that. Digital currency is another great way to do that. Those are all things that they can cut you off from. Yeah. And, and it, it would just leave you so beholden to the government, you know, if something like that were to happen. Tucker even talked about it. Tucker said this. He, he said that the grid is going to collapse. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of when. It was yeah. him and Dennis Quaid. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> it was him and Dennis Quaid, the actor. Uh, Dennis Quaid said he's been working on a project for some time to bring like awareness to it. Uh, but it was really doom and gloom, man. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. We get a rolling blackout and boom, we're, we're done. Yeah. And then... That's another thing. How long does it take after a rolling blackout? Say we can't get the grid going back on in mm -hmm. uh, a couple days, right? It takes a long, long time. Yeah. 
how long does it take until it gets like Mad Max? That's hard to say. I mean, even with some of the things that we've seen short term, I mean, look at the fallout that we've had from different natural disasters now. Even the George Floyd riots. Yeah. The thing is, it does not take very much for people to devolve into chaotic, you know, just radicalism. We literally saw it. Yeah. All over Twitter. Yep. Everybody, I remember there was a video of a a bunch of people like breaking into a Target Mm -hmm. and you see the flashing lights, the emergency lights, but everything else is off. Yeah. And just people all over taking Mm -hmm. whatever they could. Yep. Just running. Yep. Madness. I think it was, wasn't it Lord of the Flies that was the book that was all all the, the kids were on the island and as the book progressed, they just like devolved more and more into like barbarism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we're going to see as a country with these these disasters that keep playing out. It's a very scary thing mm-hmm. because I feel like eventually it will happen. Yeah. Why you see the billionaires building the bunkers. Yeah. And so it's really hard to know like what's going to trigger it. Mm-hmm. Um, Congress keeps pushing back. That's another thing. The national debt. We're at $34 trillion. <laughs> And it doesn't feel like anybody's going to solve it. I feel like one day the dollar's going to collapse and they just won't be able to push it back anymore. Yeah. Why do you think nobody talks about the national debt? Like politicians. I think that both sides of the aisle at this point, maybe there are Republicans that want to limit spending. And and they're true fiscal conservatives. Yeah. But I think that... Largely, we've gotten to a point where that has become a non-political issue. It's crazy. Yeah. Because, like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. All the way over there in the background. Yep. And I think it's because if you look at what are the big issues on both sides, so Democrats and some Republicans want money for foreign aid um, or, you know, different social causes and social issues and whatnot, Um, whereas Republicans, they want border security, they want to bolster the military. All these things cost money. And that's why under Trump, you know, obviously a lot of what he did was great, but again, we live in a world where nothing's free. There's no free lunch. So if we want stronger defense, we have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, you know, stronger military. So I think that no politician really wants to talk about that because they know that it's never really going to be solved, you know, until, until it goes, it bursts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a scary, that's a scary thing. Yeah. Especially for like people in cities. Yeah. Where they're all stacked on top of each other. Say there is a rolling blackout. Yeah. And you only have a couple days like before everything deteriorates, maybe less than a couple days. Yeah. Your power goes out. There goes all the refrigerated uh, food. Mm-hmm. You, you can't charge your iPhone. You can't see what's going on in the news because there's no electricity. Yeah. What are you going to do now? You're going to you're going to go back to your job where you make $15 an hour. Of course not. You're going to take everything yep. because you're going to be starving to death. You're going to go to the stores. A lot of people anyway are going to go to the stores, going to take whatever food they can. Yeah. City of panic, the world of panic. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. True. There was a video I watched. I just think those things are interesting with, like, the doomsday prepper type videos. And this one was not really telling you how to prep. This was saying like, what would happen if there were to be a situation where you needed to prep, what you could expect. And you know, at the time, I kind of laughed when I was watching it. Thought this is kind of ridiculous, dramatic, whatnot. But if you really think about it. Um, you know, a situation like that would devolve pretty quickly. And just seeing based on society's reaction of how quick they are 
not even in a natural disaster situation. Look at COVID. Look at how quickly people were able to turn on each other and turn on their own rights and give it up and and just, you know, bow down to the government, basically. But not all the way. No. The uh, vaccine ID. Mm-hmm. They uh, they shot that down pretty quick in New York, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that didn't work. But that was about the only thing that didn't work. Right. And I think that that's why you were saying like the billionaires don't consider COVID to be 100 percent a success yeah. because they weren't able to go all the way. But what I will say is they used at the very least, this could be a test run to be able to say this is how far people have been willing to give up their rights and this is how far we can push them. And still have people that are willing to promote these ideas yeah. and get behind it, you know. I struggle <clears throat> I struggle to like fathom what their end goal is. Because like it can't just be control, right? There's gotta be something else. Like there's only so much power that you can have over people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That these people already have all the money in the world. That that's something I've thought about too. But I just really think um these people have a, a warped sense of morality or no morality at all. So it's really hard to be able to conceptualize what goes into that thought process. Yeah, I definitely don't trust them. No. Nobody trust few no. people trust these people. Yeah. Except like the boomers that watch CNN all day. Yeah. Um, that's another thing. <clears throat> yeah. I wanted to talk about the uh the housing crisis, right? Yeah. Obviously, it's not just a housing crisis. It's, it's a problem with our economy. Mm. So you see boomers all over. I did a little bit on Joy Behar two podcasts ago. <clears throat> Joy Behar was on The View. Mm-hmm. She always is. 81-year-old, yeah. out-of-touch boomer. Talking about um, Gen Z, uh, just get a job. Quit complaining about the economy. Yeah. Just get a job. Because they were talking about... Um, Gen Z and a little bit of millennials too, still living with their parents uh, because the economy, not able to find housing, mm. all that stuff. And so Joy Behar is just like, get a job, get a job, like just go get a job. But the economy not being where it was in the 50s and the 60s, where you could buy a house in full for a couple thousand dollars, right. um, and inflation just escalating to the point that it has. Yeah. Uh, you see this trend with a lot of boomers that are celebrities and then on TikTok, social media as well. Um, and you see like Gen Z, our generation, millennials, generation above us, mm. really frustrated about it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I just looked up Joy Behar's net worth right here. Um, this was in Parade Magazine. Oh, boy. And she has a net worth of $30 million <sighs> and an annual pay from The View of $7 million. So, no. I, Annually? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that people like that, um, <laughs> it's a complex issue because I agree with part of it. I think that... Our generation is definitely work adverse and they definitely have problems with work ethic and wanting to get ahead because we have made it so easy in America to just take, you know, the government cheese rather than get out there and and grind, basically. But I think that somebody like that, they have advocated for the policies that have destroyed our economy. Yeah, they have um, made a living, basically, that... um, is not attainable to most people, like, you know, being a talk show host right. like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that, like you said, they're really in touch with with any of the issues. Now, what I will say is um, I think that the housing crisis definitely is going to be a huge issue down the road, even more so. But I think that it definitely plays into what they want in the long term. Own nothing yeah. is what they want. And own nothing is, I think, what they're going to get. Because, you know, if you can 
barely afford to rent an apartment and houses are costing like what three four hundred thousand dollars on average for the small ones yeah i mean and that's in northeast ohio yeah that that is insane like imagine if you're living in california and you get out of school with you know your whatever degree that you have and you know you're expected to go buy a house living off of fifty sixty thousand dollars starting salaries and a three-bedroom two-bathroom ranch is a million dollars yeah that's crazy it's just not reasonable and i think that that's why so many people have have lost hope in america because the american dream was to come here and make a living for yourself and be able to afford that kind of a lifestyle and it's just what used to be a normal middle class lifestyle has not become a reality for so many people and i think it's because we have we have allowed politicians to run our economy into the ground and th there was even a guy i saw in canada and i mean obviously canada is not a good example right he had immigrated from Italy, and this was in a street interview. And the guy asked him, you know, would you think that immigrants should come here? And he said no. And he said it was it was a, a good life that I was able to get at the time by immigrating to Canada. But he said now the housing prices have gone up so much. He said you're going to come here and not even be able to afford to live. And even though Canada is slightly more expensive than the United States, it's still very similar. Yeah. You know, I mean, average rent in New York City, I think – I don't know if it was like $4,000 or something. Crazy. Yeah, that that's just not, it's not reasonable. Thing is though, I still feel like we're the best option. The United States mm -hmm. is the best option. But like, cause like where else is there that you can go and <clears throat> come as like a, as an, as an immigrant, um, make a new life for yourself, a better life for yourself. That's true. I think that, um, which doesn't say much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I think that, um, we are still the best option in some respects. But I will say that I personally have not traveled abroad, but what I will say about what I've heard from people that have or people that have lived abroad for an extended period, we have that perception here because we kind of look at everything through a rose-colored lens. Those people over there are very happy in Europe um, and in some other countries because of the, the lifestyle they've created for themselves through their society. We have we have such a, a hustle culture here, uh, you know, make money, make money, make money instead of, you know, have kids, raise a family, have a home, um, you know, focus on your religion, things like that. We have completely shifted our focus here. And I think that that's also part of the reason why you see prices going up. Why, why is it that we as human beings have such a tendency to basically live as a conglomerate in a big city? It's not natural to like there was somebody talking about like overpopulation. Mm -hmm. Technically, we could all live in like one state. I think they said like the whole world's population could fit in Texas or something. But we have so much room in this country to spread out, live. But we all live in the cities. And that's what's driving up prices because everybody, you know, it's supply and demand. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that there are countries, honestly, where they still live a little different lifestyle than us that would still be good. Now, granted, they might have different political problems and whatnot. Yeah. But I just really think that um, as we go further down the line, what people once knew the American dream to be is, is no longer going to be available. It's a scary future. It is. <laughs> At least we still have freedom of speech. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, still, still. Um, you know, you have comedians in the UK getting arrested for jokes. I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah. So at least we're not there. 
Yeah. We still have, for the most part, freedom of speech. Yeah. I, I know somebody in uh, Canada. They work for a conservative news outlet, and one of their coworkers just got arrested. And hmm. it, it was all on camera. This was Rebel News. And they basically were walking in the street asking somebody, I don't know if it was a public figure or something, uh, questions. And the security guard came up or a cop came up, stood in front of him, and the guy walked into him accidentally, and they arrested him for assault. And it was all on camera. You could see exactly what happened. And, um, you know, it's just a really bad look for a country that that claims to be pro-freedom to arrest journalists. They already look bad. They do. And it looks awful. Yeah. Worse than us. Very true. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think that um, even though we still do have freedom of speech, at least in theory and for the most part, I think that it's it's decaying. And that is something that as a journalist is very concerning to me. Um, I think that, I mean, if we didn't have that, I would be out of work because I would not be able to write about the things that I do if we didn't have something like that. A lot of people would be out of work. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like, for instance, at at school, you know, you might have objectionable opinions and people want to blackball you. Look, I mean, look at my group, how much we've had to deal with here. Uh, and we're a mild case. I, I have seen and, and write about cases in other schools that are much worse. Um, you know, in, in the schools are a microcosm of the larger society, which is why we see things on social media of people being censored, um, people in their jobs being censored. There was just an, an incident that I wrote about. This was at Syracuse. And basically there was a basically a gender therapist, I think, or a former gender therapist oh. that basically woke up and realized that what was going on was wrong with trying to trans kids and things. Just one day. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the, the whole thought conversion there was, but eventually <laughs> she did change and become like a, a conservative speaker, I guess, on this issue. So um, somebody up there, you know, hit me up and told me that they're I guess they had an incident where she was supposed to come to speak on campus and they circulated a petition around saying that because of the opinions she expressed in her book and things, should they should not be allowed to be spoken on campus. And I hate that. Yeah. It's the same thing with Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, yeah. all those like um, more so right wing uh, talkers or not talkers, uh, speakers yeah. um, in like the conservative space. Yeah. Or Jordan Peterson's not even like a registered Republican or anything like mm -hmm. that. I don't think he's ever came out as conservative per se. Mm -hmm. um, just his opinions are more so on the right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and, and it happens all the time. I mean, in this case, it was funny because Jordan Peterson got involved with this. He tweeted about this because after she was basically the group ended up getting funding from another source because their student assembly refused to fund it because mm. they said that they didn't think that it fit the the you know campus community to be able to speak about this issue. So they had to go get money from an outside source. Then this speaker, because of the negative attention that she got through the petition and through all of the the backlash, lost her job, and because she worked for like an outside company, right? Um, <clears throat> it wasn't like you know Ben Shapiro or somebody that works for a conservative company. She must have just had a regular job, yeah. And she got fired, and he was tweeting about that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a shame to see what used to be places for you know, that, that served as like a marketplace of ideas, right? The the university. Mm -hmm. um, 
it has completely fallen from grace. And we see now that it's just become a political arena where the loudest voice wins. Yeah, you see this when um, you read The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. He talked about in that book how um, campuses weren't like half and half, but they were quite similar because of um, the reintroduction of veterans into just the overall workforce. Mm -hmm. And so the people that served in the military, fought in the wars, um, they had a right like leaning bias, majority of them uh, had that bias. And so yeah. they were working in the uh, in the universities for a decent amount of time. And so over time, that number went down. Mm. And so now you have what we have. Yeah. But it's interesting. I had no clue about that till I read the book. Yeah. it's There was a study that I saw at one point. I can't remember where it was from, but they said that basically, I think it was like 78% of college professors are um, basically liberal. Or, or Democrat or, or whatever you want to say, left identifying. Which isn't necessarily bad um, because, you know, it's historically left-leaning education is. Yeah. But when you're not allowing somebody freedom of speech, which yeah. is also a historically like American left-leaning issue that right. they fight for. Right. It's kind of like, it's ironic. That's the problem. It's not so much, I, I think it's what we've reclassified liberal to mean. It changed. Yes. And and liberal used to, and I don't even mean the when, when people say about the, the you know great party switch or whatever, when Republicans used to advocate for one thing and Democrats and then it, it changed all of a sudden. I don't buy that. But what I do buy is like the idea that the word liberal means something different now. It does. I was watching Gossip Girl with my girlfriend not too long ago, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And the one lady... Uh, in the uh, in the show, she's like a self-proclaimed liberal, and her family is like liberal in the show. And the liberal mom was skeptical about colleges. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. What? That's interesting. Yeah. Because nowadays, that's uh, that's probably the place where they have the biggest foothold in right? society. <laughs> is and it, it's not a surprise. Like, where are you going to try to pass propaganda off? It's where you have authority. It's where you have influence. So these people, I can't tell you how many times that I've had people come to me and say they are conservative and they're concerned because if their professor finds out, then they're going to be on basically have a target on their back. Which is stupid. I remember hearing something here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, this lady, or maybe identified as they... I'm not too sure. This lady was, I'm going to call her a lady. I don't give a shit. She was a physics professor. Yeah. And they were talking about battle of the sexes. I was a freshman or a sophomore when this when I saw this. They're talking about having like battle of the sexes night on campus somewhere. Yeah. And this lady was like, well, what about the non-binary? Why are you not including? Shut the hell up. Yeah. What are you doing? Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I mean, this lady looked the part too. Yeah. She, she, I know exactly she, who you're talking about. Oh, no shit. Yeah, because I, I was in the Senate <laughs> with her. And I gave a speech about how they should not be including gender pronouns on our syllabi. And she was in the room when I gave the speech and she was pissed. I mean, afterwards, listen, you, you got the freedom to, but you can't make me do it. Exactly. I'm a he. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't understand why that has become such a controversial take. I think it's China. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's working. Yeah, it's working very Maybe. well. I think it's it's outside influences. It, probably, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, honestly, like there was um, a lot of people who said that you know during the election, 
talking about Russian influence, you know, on social media for elections. You don't think that this happens with social issues? It definitely does. You know, yeah. It has to. For sure. For sure. To, to think that they're not toying with our our social media algorithms, especially TikTok. TikTok is a Chinese company. Yeah. You're telling yeah. me they're not influencing all this stuff. You see in China, they talk about, they highlight like important athletic achievements. Mm-hmm. The top three things they want to be in China are like an astronaut, an engineer, a teacher. Yep. Here, top thing is a social media influencer. Yep. And why not get paid to do essentially nothing? Are you kidding me? True. Now, is that what I'm trying to become? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just try to have fun. If yeah. that comes, it comes. But yeah. as long as people like enjoy the episode, that's all that matters. Yeah. And honestly, though, I think... I think some of the things that you talk about on this show is a lot more thought provoking than most classrooms nowadays. There was a thing that I saw and it was, um, you know, about students in I think it was a Chinese classroom and this kid had like a, a puzzle and he's like flipping through this puzzle, like, going, you know, doing it. And he was like four. And then they showed a similar age group classroom in America. And the teacher was like rapping and filming a TikTok. And I was scrolling through the comments and everybody's saying like, you know, meanwhile, the Chinese students are, you know, doing physics. We're doing, you know, yeah. whatever. It, it's just with the pride flags in the classroom, having the parades. And the, I've seen yep. it. It's on Twitter. It's all on oh, Twitter. Yeah. Oh, They're yeah. celebrating. They're all the way waving the, the yep. gay pride flags around all mm-hmm. these four year olds. Yep. There, there's a great uh, account on I think Twitter and Instagram, probably it's called libs of TikTok. Yeah, of course. I know. Yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, seeing that what I think her name is Chai Raychik, what she's been able to do with that account. She got outed. Yeah. It's, it's just groundbreaking turning point signed her as a contributor now. Really? Yeah. And I I mean, it's just really been eye opening for people to be able to see, because this is an issue that I even see at YSU when people accuse professors or teachers or institutions of indoctrinating people, they take great offense at that. And I didn't realize this until recently because I was basically um, in the Senate and there was a teacher that we had here who tried to pass a resolution of no confidence against our new president. And one of the things that she had said in this resolution was that he accused um, teachers of indoctrination. And she took great umbrage at that remark. But here's the thing. When you have somebody like um, Chai Rachik and the libs of TikTok exposing these things on film and with photo evidence, you, you can't dispute it. And that's why journalism is so important and why we cannot let um, that field decay and evolve and, and let free speech collapse because that type of proof is invaluable when you're really trying to make a point like, you know, that indoctrination exists, for instance. Yeah, you talk about Bill Johnson. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting story. I didn't follow it too much. Mm-hmm. But I saw a story, read it a little bit, saw a clip of him talking about just the, the controversy, basically. Mm-hmm. YSU obviously felt like... I mean, for, for the people that don't know, um, we're recording on YSU campus, which is Youngstown State University. Um, it's not my podcast and campus. Uh, but it's a, it's a college we go to in Ohio where I graduated from. But they hired a uh, former congressman, yep. Republican congressman, uh, Bill Johnson. And there's a lot of outrage from people who are more left-leaning on campus because he is a Republican. And he wants to cut 
a lot of the programs, I guess, because they're not making money. Is that what? I don't necessarily know if that falls into his purview, actually. I okay. think that when he became the president, our old provost became a special assistant to the president. Huh. And I think that he had something to do with it. And I think our new provost, um, um, Dr. Pintar, I think is her name. She was the old assistant provost. She was the one that really started hammering away at the at the sunsetting the programs. Because I was on the meeting where they talked about the music school huh. um, getting cut. And there was chaos that- i mean it's all the weird kids anyway what are they gonna do in society you know what i mean what are they gonna do they're gonna change your gender a couple times xae it's just say them what are we doing the thing that ysu needs to get right um is that we and, and i think this is probably not even just an issue here i think this is probably at a lot of schools i think that we put so much money into athletics and we mismanage our budget that it's going to not even be an academic institution anymore. Mm -hmm. I I agree that there are programs that need cut, but I just don't understand how they can ratchet up our, our budget every year for athletics and then never see a problem with continuing to cut programs, you know, but I think that they definitely will, even if he didn't have anything to do with that, try to pin that on Bill Johnson. Um, But what I will say about that whole situation is that is a prime example of the, the cancel culture that is on campuses. It's just crazy that they don't like him because he's a Republican. Yeah. Like, that's it. I, I blatantly accused them of that in in the, the meetings that we had in the Senate. I wrote a statement from our Turning Point chapter um, saying that it was nothing more than political motivation. And they deny it. They say that it's because of the process. They say that it's because of his qualifications. But that's obviously not true. Listen... You see a bunch of girls posting about this, protesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's just so funny that they attach themselves to all these social issues. But God forbid it snows a little bit outside. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to shovel the driveway. Yep. And it's never going to be them. They would gladly give up their rights. Oh, and you 100%. see it. Yep. It's just, I don't know. I'm not even saying that I'm advocating for that. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm saying, to be honest. But it's just so funny how, like... That this particular group of uh, women in America, feminists, the overarching, like hard, 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 hard yeah. core feminists, like not even feminists to a point that it makes sense. I would argue that the majority of people are feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think women should be able to vote. Yeah. Uh, I think they should be able to have bank accounts, drive, whatever, no, just yeah. be a normal person. Of course. But when you get the women dressed in like the vagina hats. <laughs> What are you doing? We ran into some of those in D.C. this week. When oh. We were at the uh, the March for Life. I will yeah. say about the March for Life. Yeah. I did not know that Jim Harbaugh was such a, a pro-life mm-hmm. guy that he, he went to the march. Yeah. He crossed right over in front of us when Respect we were marching. Respect the yeah. hell out of him for that. Yeah. I agree. And, and I think that that's a perfect example of what we need. Um, not a Michigan fan, but I think, that, I. I think that, you know, what he's doing is really good because – the point that we're at in society, we have let the, the public narrative run away with the left. They, they have completely run away with it and, and controlled the media cycle and the news cycle. So I think what we need is people with influence to actually stand up for what they believe. And that's why I was making the remark earlier about, you know, the silent majority. And that, that was a big thing that was even discussed with uh, with our president. People were, our advisor wrote a piece in one of the local uh, newspapers saying that the silent majority on campus supported him. And um, I was doing an interview earlier and they were asking me about that. I think that we need to stop being the silent majority because- I agree with you. 
Yeah, being a silent majority does nothing for you until you get to the ballot box. Yeah. I mean, and even then, the, the left likes to intimidate the right. Yeah. I consider myself in the middleman on a lot of issues. I really do. Yeah. But like a lot of people who are conservative, yeah. or not even people that are conservative, but the people in the middle, mm-hmm. they have to grow a pair for lack of a better term. I agree with you. Because the people on the left, they're not afraid to share their opinions at all. Yep. I think that until people, like you said, get a spine, grow a pair, whatever you want to say, and, and come forward and actually stand on their own beliefs that we're just going to be a monolith in America. We're just going to have one one set of what's acceptable to say, think, and do um, instead of having you know diversity, which yeah. is what they claim to want. Um, I'm here for it. Yeah. Go change your gender. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not scared of these people. Mm. What are they going to do? Yeah. Tweet? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think somebody like Jim Harbaugh, that, that's a great um a great example for you know for people and i there's a lot of celebrities who have come out and and really been good about um you know being vocal about their political opinions Mm -hmm. um few actors i think came out and and were you know making some pretty conservative takes even about being religious mark Wahlberg is a great example he really is yeah Yeah. and mel gibson too yeah that's what i was thinking mel gibson yeah he uh that they've both been pretty good. And I think you're going to start seeing that a lot more because one, you know, everything, when there's a social issue, the snowball effect usually plays out. And I think that once one person says or does something and, and, and takes a stand, more people are going to feel encouraged and compelled to do the same. It's human nature. It is. And I mean, I've seen it just in group settings, um, you know, leading conservative groups on campus in the last few years. There are so many people that came in and were at first like intimidated about sharing their beliefs um, and now they, they're some of our most vocal members, you know, and it's just, I, I think it just takes one person or a few people to stand up for, for what they think and more people will, you know, gain the courage to do the same. I hope so. Yeah. I think we'll have a better country for that. I agree. I agree on both sides. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think that, you know, it should just be one side that, that gets to, you know, say what, what goes. Yeah, it has to be give and take. We're all red blooded Americans, right? Right. At the end of the day, yeah. Um, I want to go back to when you went to the Iowa caucus. Yeah. What was it like when you met Nikki Haley? She's a nice lady. I, I don't. I don't have a problem with her. Um, I have a problem with the way that she presents herself and in, in her policies. I th- I just saw an interview today where she was trying to play the race card, like talking about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you see that? She's like a small person. I'm more South Asian than she is. I'm yeah. like 2% South Asian. I saw a picture with her and her husband today. Yeah. I was doing a podcast today. And they were in India. Yeah. And they were surrounded by all these men, barefoot, turbans. Yeah. And one of the guy had a sword. I was yeah. like, what? Um, and she was wearing like an Indian headdress. And she had the little dot on the on the middle of her forehead. I was like, you're yeah. really squeezing that orange, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, that's what they do. It, it, just for political gain. Elizabeth Warren did the same thing. Kamala? Yeah. I mean, but Kamala is more so than Nikki Haley. Oh, Kamala, yeah. had, I mean, the visual difference is, is yeah. come on. It, I think it was, she was saying something in the interview about how hard it was being a brown girl in the political oh, that's South. such bullshit. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know much about Nikki Haley at first. Like when she was serving in the Trump administration as the UN ambassador, I didn't know much about her. I never knew she was Indian. I did my research. She changed her name. 
Did she actually? Yeah. Let me. I'll, I'll look that up. Let's see here. She changed her name. I know that. She goes by something different than. Um. Sorry, everybody. I banged the arm. Oh, it says Trump was mocking it. Yeah. What? What's her? Uh, you're gonna get to it. Oh wait, she did have a more. Yeah. A more Indian sounding name. Nikki actually. Nikki Haley changed her name. Nimrata Nikki. Randhawa. And now she just goes by Nick. I'm going to close my laptop. And now she just goes by. Damn it. Sorry, everybody. Now she just goes by Nikki because it sounds more white. Yeah. You want to tell me that you're a brown girl? Yeah. Maybe in, in the technical side, but bullshit. Yeah. Well, I'm, she's trying to play both sides of it. I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley, bro, no. to be honest. And this is a hot take because mm. I'm not um, conservative. I, middle. But. I think Hillary's more likable. <laughs> that is hot. Um, I think, yeah, I could see how some people would think that. I think Nikki Haley, here's the problem. Hillary's unapologetic in her, her uh, how she presents herself, her Strong branding. woman. Yeah, I mean, she, she does do that. And I think that also she's like not afraid of calling herself feminist. Mm -hmm. One thing I was reading in a lot of uh, outlets is that uh, Nikki Haley in some ways tries to stray away from playing the feminist card, even though she does. Um, she tries to be a little more nuanced about it because she knows that won't play well with her base. And I think that it's because Hillary has people that like that, right? The people on the left want a feminist. They want a strong woman. The vagina hat people. Right, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that people on the right, you know, myself included, I don't, want to hear somebody preaching about feminism. I want to hear somebody talking about meaningful policy and and actually like a vision for the country other than playing identity politics, you know. She just comes off as bitchy to me. I'm sorry. She I does. Mean, yeah. No, she does. It, it, it's weird because in person, like, I mean, granted, I met her very briefly, but right. she seemed friendly enough. And obviously, you know, she's at a campaign event. People are going to try to put on that persona. But I think that, you know, overall she was all right. Um, I think the problem with her is really like her foreign policy is the biggest thing. Um, that is disastrous. We can't get into another war. No, no, no. And she, she is a complete war hawk. She, she wants war in the Middle East and she wants it in Ukraine for sure. Um, that's why I think Vivek was so successful pressing her on that issue because everybody knows it. Oh, he, you he, know. he beat the hell out of her on that issue. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely. No doubt. Mop the floor with her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> What do you feel like? What do you feel about Taiwan? Um, the, here's here's what I think. If <clears throat> Donald Trump would somehow lose the election, or whoever the whoever the candidate's going to be, I think we all know it's him. Um, and Biden wins, I think Taiwan gets invaded. I think that, and it might happen. There's a chance that they could invade before the election, before Trump gets in, if possible. Um, but I don't think that will happen. I think what would be more likely is if Biden had another four years, they would 100% invade. For a fact. <laughs> I think the only good thing that Biden did was the um, the CHIPS Act. Which? He, uh, a plant in Arizona is going to, um, I forget when it's going to be built by. Yeah. But he was talking about that and saying we can't rely on Taiwan for the chips. Something like to that okay. degree. That's the only thing. Yeah. But, to go back to what you said about Trump, if he gets back in, I agree with you. In fact, yeah. I've said on previous episodes, he's the only president that I think will allow us to uh, 
prevent World War Three. I agree. I, I think that Biden's foreign policy has left us exposed. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. I was up till 4 a.m. last night. Yeah. YouTube rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. What will happen if we get into a nuclear winter? Yeah. Those because are the ash just covering the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, up to 25 years of no sunlight due to a nuclear winter. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And I, I think we're we're playing with fire here with, with some of these leaders. And I think that Trump had a way of of maintaining good enough relations to avoid problems like that and they knew better north korea yeah well it's it's peace through strength i mean that that is the foreign policy that you want you don't want to have to prove your strength because that's going to lead to war um you also don't want to be a doormat like biden which he has been i was talking about this on there was a uh somebody interviewed me at the iowa caucus one of the news networks and they were asking about that um you know, do you think that this would have happened if, if Trump was in office? And I don't. I, I really don't think that these wars would be happening. I think that people know Biden barely knows where he's at half the time. He's weak. And they capitalize on that. That That is just human nature um, since the, the dawn of empires, basically. When one leader was incapable, other leaders would take advantage of it. I don't know why they're running him. I think it's just they don't want to admit they're wrong. They really don't. That's crazy. Because I, I, if they did, w- when is the last time a political party has strayed away from an incumbent president and didn't run him again? I don't think ever that I know of. I can't think of anything in the last hundred years. Yeah. So I, I just, I think that if they did that, for one, it would be unprecedented. And two, it would be a complete admission that their whole four years was a sham and that they lied to the voters. It's terrible because I think Gavin would win and I'd, beat Trump. He, he would have be chance. close. He would have a chance. It would be close. Certainly better chance than Biden. Definitely. Yeah. Also, before we get on to other topics, yeah. what was it like meeting Eric, Eric Trump? He was cool. Really? He was a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, he showed up to the Iowa caucus where it was like the polling place or whatever. Um me and some other people were, were volunteering there with an organization. And uh, I was at the door kind of greeting people and helping them get, get in line and whatnot. Um, and he came in. Um, he ended up speaking because apparently like at the Iowa caucus, each candidate has a like a, a representative kind of speak on their behalf. Um, so obviously he spoke on Trump's behalf. Um, but really cordial guy, uh, well-mannered. He was going around just handing out hats and talking to the voters. Um but, you know, it, it is interesting to see somebody that comes from an affluent background like that be so personable and be so, um, you know, just kind of down to earth, you know, not really putting on airs. He didn't come in in a you know million dollar suit, just came in wearing regular clothes. Um, and I think that's what really makes Trump appealing to the larger demographic in America. I, th- I think one of the comedians said, you know, it, it's the first time that a billionaire has been able to really connect with with people and people be able to connect with a billionaire. You know what I'm that's saying? True. So I, I think that's really the secret to his political success. Yeah, bro. Um, one of the reasons why you're here is you were talking about a national day of racial healing uh, and there was a lecture for white people at I believe this was um, the university is, uh, I'm blanking on the university. Western Illinois. Western Illinois. Yeah. And you wrote an article. Yeah. You said you weren't able to speak too much about it. Yeah. But just overall, give everybody on the camera um, a little bit of information about what happened. Yeah, so I, I never really knew about this, but apparently there is a day 
every year. It's, it's January 16th. and Not the 6th. Yeah. Um, but basically, this is like a national uh, observance, I guess you could say. And a lot of colleges have, have joined in on it. And I, I don't know if it's like, you know, there's specific organizations that advocate for it too. But basically, it's the National Day of uh, Racial Healing. And what it does, I guess, is they have different events that are meant to cater to the idea of racial healing, which, you know, in theory, this, this is the thing that I will say with most political issues, uh, semantics plays a, a huge role. I think that especially if you look at issues like abortion, uh, they, they very carefully nuance their words on both sides to cater to what they're trying to push. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is another example where racial healing at the surface sounds like, you know, why wouldn't you want it? But the question that I had when I was writing this piece was, what are we healing from? We are in America. Everybody has equal opportunity now. Um, we're not in the Jim Crow South. We're not in, you know, the 1800s have, having slaves. So at this point, I think we should have healed. And it, it's just shocking to see that groups continue to cook up days like this that at the, at the surface seem like it would be a positive thing. All it is is a catalyst for racial division. Yeah. That's what this is. And I had reached out to the school actually when I wrote this. And I asked them, I said, what exactly are we healing from? And they, they asked me, well, don't you think we need racial healing? And I asked them, well, who is healing here? That's my question. Who, who are you saying is healing? Because how I look at it is this. I think it's a racist implication to say that there are certain groups of people that need healed. Yeah. It's I, like they have the same opportunities. You have black, white, Asian, Hispanic people at your school. They're all there having the same opportunities given to them. So what do they have, what are they experiencing that they need to heal from more than anybody else? We all have problems as, you know, just Americans, but I don't think that there's anything, like sure, there's going to be instances of racism, but they are using these things to try to cement the idea that there is a, like an institutionalized racism in America is what I think. The institutions are on their side. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's funny. You see all these, um, these rock bands now, mm. like, uh, they're like in their seventies and all these guys in the beginning in like the sixties and the seventies were, they were against, you know, fight the power, right? Yep. They were against all the corporate stuff, but now all these people, like the corporations, mm. uh, they're supporting these people that are saying, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fight the power and like the corporations they got the pride flag every June and their and their uh, their logo uh -huh. you know what I mean yep you see a Mercedes Benz I saw a Mercedes Benz ad on Twitter this was two years ago during Pride Month two lesbian couples which is fine whatever mm. um do you believe that they were walking right in front of the car you couldn't even see the logo of the Benz really yep well that's because that's what these companies want their branding to be that's what literally China yeah I yeah. mean. Scroll through Twitter on, uh, what is it, June, I think, is Pride Month. My favorite month. Yeah. Everything turns to a rainbow. Uh -huh. you know? all, all the logos suddenly, and that literally becomes their branding. Yeah. If you think about it, they're taking advantage. They're um, exploiting the mm -hmm. gay pride movement. Yep. Because yep. July 31st, it changes back. Oh, 100%. And it's the same reason why um, I'm trying to think of different like issues where people have done that. I think they did that during the Ukraine war. Um when that started, then everybody switched back. 
I think during the BLM uh, movement, I guess you could say, um, a lot of people posted on social media. And then it's funny, if you go back on their page now, is their black square still there? I'm no. not going to lie, I, I, I posted it. Did you? Yeah, okay. I, I deleted it about after two days. I was like, "What? this doesn't do anything. What does yeah. it do? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I, If you go back, you could probably find things where I was uh, at first outraged about the whole situation. And I was you know, kind of understanding where everybody was coming from. But yeah. as the facts started, now this was when I was still, I don't know if I would have still been in high school at that point. I might have been or just got out. Um, but you know, as the facts came out, I understood that the media was using this as a yeah agenda item. Listen, I don't think what happened was good. No. But I don't think we should be celebrating a guy that put a loaded gun to a pregnant woman's stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. National you-know-who day. Yep. What? Here's the thing. If you want to know who's right on an issue, look at who they're promoting. Who who is who is the left promoting? Okay, you have George Floyd. Where he he's now viewed as a saint, basically by people on the well, left. He was, and yeah, and uh, you know a lot of the the, the uh, no offense, but they promote degeneracy. You don't have to say no offense. And either. yeah, it's just I, I think that they promote degeneracy as an ideal, and I think that if you look at the right, we try to promote uh, values like the nuclear family. We try to promote people who embody. Um, what it means to be a normal everyday American. And I don't say normal in the sense that if you're different and you're not a straight white male, you know, what, what they try to say, that that doesn't, you know, mean you. I mean, people that try to push the boundary of normal, rational thought, yeah. like calling themselves they, them, and things like that. Yeah, bro, you see a lot of communities online, gay, even trans people that are against this stuff, like pushing it on children. You have, um, what's it called? gays against or gays for something gays I, against groomers yep gays yeah. against groomers yeah, yeah i was blanking on the name yeah but like even that you see like there's people that are technically part of the lgbtq community but don't subscribe to the the idea of pushing this this horrible stuff on children no definitely not they actually were at america fest this year really and, and they've become very involved with the conservative movement um one of our officers in our turning point group loves them hmm. um but yeah here, here's the only thing i will say and this is me being more of a hardline conservative than some. I agree with their mission. However, I think the problem is there are some on the right that are willing to sell out their moral positions and try to co-opt groups like that hmm. to gain credibility with moderates. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think like for me, again, I have no problem with gay people. I, I disagree with gay marriage. And I think that we should not we should be willing to collaborate with these groups on, on something like that because I absolutely agree with their mission. However, I don't think that on the right, we should brand ourselves as the party of the LGBT. That makes I, sense. I think that's a, a line that we have to carefully toe, basically, because if not, we are going to lose the integrity of what it means to be a conservative. And this is something that I've debated a lot with my friends. Like, you know, the, does conservative mean being fiscally conservative and being socially um, liberal? Yeah, in some ways, because honestly, but that's libertarian, right? And I think like you know, a lot of people who are conservative would say to be conservative, you have to be a Christian or you have to be, um, you know, religious in some way, because that is what most conservatives originally were. I would even say just hold moral values, right? And I think like now 
it's become like the qualifications of what it means to be a conservative have become less and less. Well, the country has fallen further away from religion. Right. And I think that's where a lot of our problems stem from. Yeah. (laughs) In all fairness. You know, you, you really could, you could, you know, go all the way back and point it to that, a lack of religion in the, in the country and just the world in general. Yeah. Um, I think that's real. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree. And I would be curious. I'm going to see if I can find a statistic on this. The percentage of um, Christians in America over time. I think there's the majority of the religion in our country. I remember hearing a stat like 82% Catholic. Yeah. But like who practices? Right. Here it is. That's the thing. They identify as one thing. Let's see. Okay. So this was Pew Research. 65% 65% in 2020 identified as Christian. I was off. And this is, okay, so they were 75% in 2015. That That is a 10% reduction in five years. So what are the percentages like between 2015 and 2020 with like everything else? So let me see. Because Islam is growing. This doesn't say that. This is just. I don't say that as a bad or good thing. It's just a fact. Yeah, I think, okay, so this is saying 75% in 2015, 70.6 in 2014, 78 in 2012, and it fluctuated, but okay, this goes back to 1990, 85%. Hmm. So 85% in 1990, and now in 2020, we're 65%. 1990, we had a lot more cohesion in the country when it came to social issues, race relations. Now, we have progressed, according to the left, and what it's actually become is that we have devolved. Yeah. In a lot of ways. We, we have become much more, um, we've had a lot more racial tension. We have a lot less moral fabric, I mm-hmm. would say, in our society. And, you know, what can you point to as the common denominator? It's the fact that we don't have a shared identity as a nation anymore. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And I, I really think, I mean, you know, people might disagree with this if they're not religious, but you know, the Bible is very clear about God and what his actions will be against nations that uh, deny him. And mm-hmm. I think that we have basically, we are reaping what we've sown at this point. I agree. Yeah. It's just crazy how like they're, everybody says, oh, you know, we're so divided. Yeah. And so it's the news that's doing that is the one oh, thing. Yeah. Um, but like, you just think back to the founders. Yeah. Bro. They formed their own country after Mm -hmm. getting taxed at 3% for tea. Mm -hmm. And I always go on tangents around my family because usually this is what happens. I start to go on a rant and get like a little bit angry because like, bro, inflation is so bad. We are getting taxed at a ridiculous amount of money Mm -hmm. just per year, whatever you want to quantify it at. And like, we're not going to, we're not doing anything. We're just laying down. Bro, the government is supposed to be scared of us, but we're scared of the government. And it's just funny because we have all the weapons. Yeah. They have the drones. That's the only bad thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And that's that's interesting that you make that point because I, I say that myself a lot. We were worried about 3% when we were, you know, being formed as a nation. Now that we are one, um, I think that I read a statistic that it's like 33% on average is what the person spends out of their income on taxes. That is insane. It's theft. That is theft. And it's uh, the fact that we, that's what I mean that we have lost our identity, not even just our religious identity that was shared. We have lost the identity of what it means to be an American. And I think what it used to mean is 
standing up for your rights, having you know the backbone to, to fight back against true injustice. And I think what we've seen now is the true injustices get swept to the side. Yeah. And instead, people manufacture injustices to paint themselves as a victim. Because mm-hmm. really, if you look at them, like you've said about people with their pronouns, getting pissed on social media if they're misgendered, victimhood has become a currency yeah. in America. And it's if you're the victim, then, you know, you, you gain credibility for some reason. Outrage, too. Yes. And it's, you know, that has contributed immensely to our lack of focus on what our actual problems are nowadays. Yeah. You know, I just wonder how long it's going to be until like people are fed up with being taxed because we could change it at any point in time. It's just a little barbaric way to get there. That's the only bad thing. Yeah, it's going to happen eventually. The poor people are going to eat the rich people, but it's yeah, I I hope I'm not alive for it, but I have a feeling I will be. Yeah, it'll. I won't be doing any of the eating though. I'll just be sitting back. Spectator. Yeah. yeah no, I, it's scary to think about. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I honestly, as much as I would like to think that, you know, the people eventually stand up against taxation, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I just really think that, like, if, if we're so worried about, you know, if, if somebody can't go a day without worrying about somebody calling him he or she, mm-hmm. then, we're, we're far gone. We're, yeah, that, that ship has sailed. And I, I think that we have gotten to a point where the people that need to be standing up have become not only complacent, but it's like they've become an advocate for the government. It's it's weird. I never thought that I would see the day where people advocate against their own rights. But COVID, during that, that opened my eyes to how stupid people are. It's fear, bro. It is. That's all it is. They just control you through fear. I remember the anticipation of COVID. Yeah. It started out, um, somebody got in Cuyahoga County. Yep. And then it was like, oh, it's in Warren. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was scared. I was at the YMCA the day before they closed it yeah. with a couple of friends. Nobody else was there. Yeah. They closed it down the next day. Yep. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this disease is going to kill everybody. And mm-hmm. it killed, like, a small fraction of 1%, maybe 1% of people. Yeah. However many people uh, in the country killed. Yeah. But <sighs> makes you wonder, man, if there was something that came around, like a disease X that killed, like, 10, 15% yep. of people, what will we let the government impose on us, you know? Yeah. And, and, and just seeing, like, how, how willing people were to go along with that. And that's... Very it's not even just that they were... That's the, the the real scary part is complacency is one thing. Complacency from fear is even one thing, but not that it's good. What is bad is when you have the same people that are not only complacent, but they're advocating actively against themselves. Mm-hmm. That is what's shocking. Like it's one thing to personally, you know, do what you feel you need to do to keep yourself safe. Like people wearing masks. If that if that is your placebo, then by all means take it. But <laughs> I think, you know, the problem was these people were basically the government's lapdog, like fighting with amongst themselves of who's not wearing a mask and who's not doing this, who's not doing that. That is why I think that we'll never see anything of substance as far as social change with taxes or with any other thing really um, that would actually bring us make the pendulum swing back to where it should be, you know? It's just like, how did these people survive, you know? <laughs> I, I wonder like, that. <laughs> like, how? I don't, I don't understand. 
it just doesn't make sense. I'm not advocating for death. It's a joke. But yeah. like, how did these people survive COVID? I yeah. You know, it's I don't know. They're still here with us. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand. Just be normal again. You don't have to wear a mask when you're driving alone in your in your Prius. I see people still with yeah. with masks on. I Double was in masks. traffic. Yeah, and I looked over and there was somebody sitting in a car next to me alone, and they had a mask on. It's three years after the fact. I was in church. Somebody was a Eucharistic minister wearing a COVID mask. What are you doing? It's it's insane. And I this is this is one. People might think I have a lot of strong political opinions, and I do. This is one that I am extremely, you know, on. I'm, I'm here for it. If you are still wearing a mask right now, unless you have a legitimate like cancer right or something like that that is compromised your immune system beyond reason and you're still wearing a mask it is the most insane thing that i've ever seen in my life it is quite unintelligent yeah it it, it is just it, it's a mental illness at this point if you're still wearing something out of fear then you're beyond reason unless you have blue hair i get it yeah that, i get that, it that's part of the outfit i yeah, guess yeah <laughs> which is a crazy outfit mm. Crazy. Listen, I'm all about fashion, but uh Demi Lovato, yeah. what are you doing? That yeah, did you see Sam Smith? Like oh, some of the stuff that he's worn in the I last couple of years. All day about Sam Smith. Yeah. Okay. So Sam Smith is a gay man, yes. Um, and I'm completely comfortable in my sexuality, so I can say this. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty look good looking guy in twenty seventeen. Yeah, he was a normal looking Holy yeah. shit. Skinny. Yeah. Borderline anorexic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Looked good. Once again, I'm a hetero, right? Let me let me let me let me let me uh, express that I'm a hetero. Um, looking good though, because he had a little bit of milk fat in like 2014. Then he mm. had this little glow up, and he just stopped eating. I guess in 2017, looking good. The beard was on point. Like he was looking good. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little gay. Anyway, the point is. <laughs> 2019 comes, yeah. and now he's getting a little chunky again, but still, you know, looks yeah. like a regular person. Yeah. 2022 comes around and he's just just gave up apparently he's wearing like these like jean shorts like cut off a couple inches below mm-hmm. his waist yep. um he's wearing like crop tops and mm-hmm. it's just you did know. you see the balloon costume that he wore no he wore something where he looked like a heart like it was like a big blow up like heart. Let me see if I can find a picture of and it. And then he dressed up as the devil, and it's like, listen, only the skinny people can pull that off. You can't be fat doing that. Let's see. Oh Lord, no, no, no. Yeah. And then so he was. He came out as gay, or he he came onto the scene as gay. Um, and then that wasn't that wasn't enough. So then he was gender queer. They them. <laughs> well, no, it was they them, and then gender queer, and. It's, oh. Just be a man, yeah. You know, or or just say you're trans. That's good enough for me. I don't even care. But yeah. like, what are we doing? It's that. That's what I mean about the slippery slope. You know, it's when when you make um when they make these identities or their uh, their sexuality their identity, then they have to continue to to stay relevant they have to continue to gain more and more down the slope that's basically not even sexuality anymore no what he's doing no that's the point they the have to find something queer. new yeah, yeah. It, it it's made up i i just don't understand it and that's the interesting thing they say about sexuality they are the ones themselves that said that sex and gender are different so why do we talk about the two in in the same context 
that is what really blows me away is because they say, okay, your sexuality is one thing and you're, you know, some people are willing to admit you have a biological sex, but then they have made this new concept of gender. What is the reason of having that then? Just so that you can feel better about yourself or so that you feel that you're entitled to different treatment. It's narcissism is what it is. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Do we ever escape all this and become a normal civilization again or are we just too far gone? I don't know. Part of me wants to think yes. I I will say this. After the whole Claudine Gay fallout and the UPenn incident and everything with with the anti-Semitism, like obviously my journalism focuses on higher education. Right. I am starting to see a shift back to the right in really? some ways. Yes, not completely, but I think that we are, if we are over here on the left, then we're starting to come a little bit more towards at least the center. That's good. Be- yeah. What is a little bit scary though is if it goes all the way to the right and yeah. you have like a like a Hitler. I know, I, I realize that like fascism is like a European right wing term. Mm. Um, it's not really an American right wing term. Yeah. But still, fascism yeah. is what tends to come if you're all the way to the right. And I, I don't think we've gone all the way to the left either. Um, communism still isn't. I mean, there's like socialistic programs, but yeah. communism still isn't like the de facto thing in the United States. Right. But it's about being somewhere in the middle. I think that honestly, right now, it, some of the people that we're seeing in on the left and in higher education, not to say that they're fascist, but they embody fascism in some ways. They definitely have fascist tendencies, yeah. no doubt. And it's funny because they are the ones like Antifa, okay? They say about how they want uh, to oppose fascism. They are themselves. The fascists Yeah. They are exactly what they accuse other people of. Like, here, here's the definition of fascism. This is according to Wikipedia, at least. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, a far-right, authoritarian, ultra-nationalist political ideology and movement, okay? That's one part of it. Right. Authoritarian, though, mm-hmm. there, okay. Characterized by a dictatorial leader, centralized autocracy, militarism, forcible suppression of opposition. We see that. Um, belief in a natural social hierarchy and, and, you know, other things. So I think that what we've seen is exactly that in some ways. At, at a school, what is it? That there is, you know, we have the administration, which, which pushes these policies, and then the leftist people, who the administration bow down to, and that everyone who is not part of that is subordinated. And I think the, um, you know, the forcible suppression of opposition is a big part of it. I just think that it's interesting that the same people who want to accuse other people of this are themselves guilty. Okay. And militarism. What do we see with these riots? You don't see conservatives breaking down the door at Target to go loot it. You know, it's just interesting. And also, like, the whole January 6th incident. Okay. Now, um, looking at this completely unbiased. Okay. Yes, I understand the outrage over that. But looking at it simply from a standard of fairness, right? Not even analyzing what happened there. But if you look at that and say that that's wrong, then there is no reasonable, logical way that you can say that what happened during the BLM summer of love was right. It's the same thing, except worse. And we have all the footage. Yeah. They just let them in. Yeah. 
showing them around, unlocking doors like it's there. Yep. That's why Tucker got fired from Fox. Yeah, that's true. And also, um, I think it was Vivek that was really starting to push the narrative with that um, about how we need to you know, have an honest conversation about what happened on yeah. January 6th. And also, too, why are, is nobody talking about the FBI's involvement? Mm-hmm. Very true. The FBI has been compromised beyond belief, I think. I mean, but they've been escalating things for a long time. Oh, yeah, along with the CIA. But I think that what's happening is now it's starting to come to public light a lot more. Because of the Internet. Yeah, and I think that is um, – I also think that they – it's weird. They've become more emboldened to do more and more, even though the accountability of the Internet exists now and it didn't before. Yeah, that's what's interesting. It's it's like they've become more emboldened, despite the fact that it would be easier for them to be exposed. Yeah, um, which I can't really answer that question as to why that would be. It's weird, though. But yeah, that's one thing I've noticed for sure. Uh, one last question here and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. How do you feel about Neuralink? Neuralink. Um, I think that in certain cases, it, it could be a good technology because I, I have heard, I don't know much about the technology behind it, but I've heard that it could be used to help certain neurological conditions, which, okay, that's fair. But I am a skeptic with most technology and with anything like that. So my first thought is that's going to be exploited. And I think that you know, that could easily become a thing where the government is forcing people to get it. So I am like, again, a Christian. I look at things through the view of like the end times, right? And, and what does the Bible talk about? The mark of the beast and things like that. That would be a great, uh, a great thing for them to use eventually to signify that, yeah. I think. And I'm just, I'm leery of, aside from the theological aspect of it, I am just leery of giving the government or any company control over my mind. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That just does not sound like a reasonable thing. And honestly, I don't know. That that just sounds like the beginning to any like crazy sci-fi movie, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> yeah. They were uh trying to become like God. Yeah. Um, and yep. God said no. And as a result, they were broken up into different languages and communication amongst everybody was broken. That's true. I feel like something will happen if we get to a point where we're too close to God in that respect. Mm. Something will happen and he'll... Could be. Yeah. Well, I think, like I said, I, I think that uh, what we're starting to see in society with all of the way that things have devolved... I, I think that anybody, regardless of where they're out in the political spectrum, because people on the left have different gripes, you know, right. they're, they're not satisfied, I don't think, even though a lot of what they do controls the narrative. I don't think they're 100% satisfied with what goes on, Yeah. even when they're winning uh, on an issue. I think that, um, you know, we could all agree that our country is not where we want it to be. Yeah, 100%. So... I, I don't know. I, I just think with, with things like that, that could easily be, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to ramble too much, but I just, I really think that that is just uh, a disaster waiting to happen, yeah. honestly. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. 
Austin Brown. It's been a hell of an episode. Thank you so much for coming on. I love having conversations with yeah. you. Yeah, thanks for and, having me. And uh, yeah, man, I, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Yeah, thank you. Of course, man. All right, everybody. We'll see you.